Previously on Stories About Music. Like, I'm just going to set off and then figure out which place works for me and move there. Music, like traveling, is a mirror. What do you think is uh, keeping you moored? I just always fear of feeling like, you know, life could get out of your hands. It was sort of a fantasy that I had since I was a teenager. I had never been to Norway before, and so I just was like, all right, well, I'll go there forever. For me, the failure to figure out who we are or where we belong is the most frightening thing in the world. That city really made me realize you have to move on, that you can't just linger on in, in the past. It is beautiful, you know, and Lisbon is very beautiful. My second blue period began as I realized that I was closer to the end of college than I was to the beginning of it. Like I said, I was sort of having a crisis where I felt like I needed to move somewhere else. I think a lot of people go through that where they think they're going to move somewhere and everything's going to change. And really, you just bring whatever it is with you. Thank you, thank you. And thank you, as always, to Michaela for her patience. I avoid listening to some music out of fear that I'll lose the memories I associate with it. Like this song by Emeralds, Candy Shop. It reminds me of the time that I used to listen to it most, when I spent a few months living in a castle in a small Dutch town by the German border. I had a job chauffeuring professors to and from a nearby train station, and Candy Shop reminds me of the countryside out there. The tree-lined highway through golden fields of dry grass, the sun on the water as the car rose over the river moss, I was busy falling in love, and as the cutoff filter descends, I remember what that felt like. You're listening to Stories About Music, a podcast on the subjects of music, journalism, and memoir, and how the line between those three things is not as clear as I'd hoped. My name is Brendan Maddox, and this is Story About Music number six, To Dream of Another Continent. March 26th, 2015. I'm sitting in the empty sanctuary of the First Unitarian Church. It's a large room, made more cavernous by the haunted ballroom music playing through the PA system. A few feet away, four members of the R5 Productions concert staff ignored me as they ate Chinese food. I'm used to this by now. My interview forgot about me, so it only made sense for everybody else to do so. I've been going to shows at the First Unitarian since I was 16, going on 17. I've been in every room in the old stone building, sat in its pews, slipped on its basement floor, stared up at its high ceiling in the darkness. I was now 24. 
And yet, I wasn't bothered by that. It was a whispery evening in late March, cool air blowing in through the open doors. The sound guy was playing An Empty Bliss Beyond This World, an album by Leland Kirby under the name The Caretaker. It's a bunch of old 78s looped and filtered to increase the pops and clicks, the signs of age. It's an album about the way that memory degrades, about the way time slips out from underneath of us. I recognized it the second I set foot in the church. I wanted to stay there forever in that moment, but I had a place to be and a job to do. Soon, my girlfriend Michaela would be there, and I had to make sure she could get in. Through a doorway, I saw Dustin O'Halloran. Before the staff could say anything, I power walked backstage. I guess, do you see the work that way? Do you see it like a painting? Yeah, I, I think Adam and I are never really, oh, they're, they're, they're about to show up. <laughs> um, hey, Hello. forgot about the interview. Dustin O'Halloran is 43, and the voice disappearing into the background belongs to his friend Adam Wiltsey, 45. Together, they make music as a winged victory for the song. Unless you're into neoclassical or ambient music, you probably don't know Dustin's name. But you do know his work if you've ever watched Transparent or Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. He composed the original score for both, as well as a number of indie dramas. He met Adam in 2007, when a mutual friend introduced them at a concert Adam was playing with Sparkle Horse in Bologna. We ended up bonding backstage over our illegal European status. <laughs> Dustin had moved to Italy in 2000, around the same time that Adam moved to Brussels. The dream, the expat dream, most people make it a year and then they go back home. And I, I persevered. Adam and I both have been living out of the country for about 13 years. I actually don't meet a lot of Americans who have stuck it out, I guess, and got to the other side where you really feel at home there. And if I can be candid, this was part of the plan when I arranged my interviews tonight to figure out how these two guys have managed to pull off something that I would very much like to do. Both of us lived under the radar for a while, and then we both got married and got visas, <laughs> finally. <laughs> so it was like, a, you had like a couple of years where you were not outlaws, but you know, illegal immigrants yeah, for a while. Yeah, yeah, we were. You know, it was, uh, when you see a cop behind you, you started to sweat a little bit. <laughs> so how did you say that you resolved that? You guys got married? Yeah. I mean, Obviously yeah. not to each other. No. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah. That would have done no good. Yeah. Dustin was starting to pick up more film work, and so he moved to Berlin shortly after he met Adam. I was living in a small town outside of Bologna, and it's a pretty small place. It's really beautiful and idyllic. I had a studio and an old farmhouse, and sort of living this really classic Italian <laughs> situation that yeah, people sort of dream of. But what I found was, for me, I just, I just found that I missed the ability to collaborate or have people come through. And I, I started to feel very isolated. 
They spent the next few years recording together between Berlin, Brussels, and Northern Italy. Their self-titled record, A Winged Victory for the Sullen, dropped in September of 2011, just as I was returning to Boston for my junior year of college. Ever since I was 18, I've had a lot of trouble falling asleep without music, and I ended up listening to A Winged Victory for the Sullen a lot at night, just trying to drift off. I can't remember if I latched onto A Winged Victory so heavily because I knew it came from Europe, or because it reminded me of the spring that I'd just spent living there. Does it feel like A Winged Victory would have done quite as well as it's done here in America, or do you feel like it's something that Europe really helped blossom? Definitely Europe. Uh, we've had a lot more opportunities to play. Uh, musically, you know, we probably could have... Well, I don't know. I don't know if we would have written the same music. The States is... Uh, it, it's marginal. You know, we're not a rock band. There's just pockets of places that really we can go. But, but the tour has been going really good. Tonight, A Winged Victory for the Sullen is on tour with a few string musicians from Brussels to promote the release of their second album, Atomos. The music was commissioned by a British choreographer named Wayne McGregor for a dance piece in 2013. He sent us a lot of weird old science videos, <laughs> photographs of everything from shape changing to spectral lights and it was like a small inspiration from like an 80s sci-fi film. The, the big concept is how atoms inside the body relate to atoms in space and this interconnection to humanity and the cosmos and that's, so, yeah. that's, that's huge. Yeah, it's kind of a, yeah, it's a heady, it's a heady project. I mean, you and Adam in your individual projects, plus what you guys do together, you already make like music that goes for big feelings in a way. Mm -hmm. But did this feel like it was bigger? I, I, no, I think I think that's why he asked us to do it. <clears throat> Especially the first record, there's a lot of human elements to it, but it's also getting away from just individual feelings, if that makes sense. It didn't. I, I, at least for me and what, I, what I, I feel is that I don't feel that it's people will feel alone in the music. not going for the heartstrings or anything it's uh, to me it's something that it, it's it's uh, this is probably the most horrible reference that I can make right now but if the plane was going down and you suddenly felt at peace and that duality or maybe another is feeling is, is the passing of time, and the passing of time is when you're in the moment, a really wonderful moment, there is also the duality of a feeling that that moment is also now gone, because you're living it. But the Japanese mono no war, I think. And it was right here that Adam broke in to ask Dustin a question about something. You want to just tie it up? Let's yeah, tie we'll it tie it up. up. Okay. Um, Thank you. Back in the sanctuary, the concert was getting ready to start. I found Michaela waiting for me in a row of pews off to one side. She still had her jacket on. The lights dimmed, and a winged victory for the sullen took their place at the front of the first Unitarian. Their concerts are subdued affairs, the only illumination coming from a single uplight stand lamp at the center of their equipment. 
It turned the shadows of the rafters into spider legs, like a giant arachnid watching from behind the altar. As the music began, I closed my eyes and felt time slip backwards. When did we meet? Uh, we met four years ago studying abroad um, in the Netherlands. But how did we meet? How did we meet? We met at a bar and we were listening to Kanye West and dancing in the local bar. And I think, did I come up to you? Come up to me, I forget. I think you came up to me. Okay, yeah, I guess I, I guess I picked you out because I had like seen you a couple days earlier hanging around the castle. Um, so I asked if you had, if you listened to Sufjan Stevens, and, um, I was suggested that we should go back to your dorm and um, listen to that instead of what we were listening to at the bar. You're such a floozy. <laughs> I, I, I guess, <laughs> yeah. This is Michaela, and just to save face right now, she is not a floozy. I was just very nervous about turning the mic on her. We met while studying abroad in the spring of our sophomore year at the Emerson College European Center, a 14th century castle in the Dutch countryside. I rented a bike. I don't think you got to because like, you never showed up or something. But um, yeah, I biked around and I got to see like the fields and there were some farms um, as you first come into town. There are a bunch of little baby goats that will run up to you and bleat. I grew up in the near suburbs of Philadelphia. The town of Well was, and still is, the most remote place that I have ever lived. Life there moved at this unhurried pace that was just so... pleasant. I thought Europe as a whole was a pretty wonderful place, and I often wish I could go back. Which is something that Michaela knows very well. Well, I thought you might have some questions about your plans with Europe, and then I could follow up on that. What are my plans with Europe? Your plans with Europe. Um, it seems like you would really like to start a, a writer's colony and get some friends together, get some people um, to write, and like maybe put together a literary magazine or like a compilation of things. Um, so that's your grand scheme. And what do you think of my grand scheme? I mean, it like it's a little stressful to think about, but it's it's definitely a nice idea. It's a nice idea that I cling to pretty heavily because I connected with a happier part of myself while I was living in Europe. I've always felt like an outsider, no matter where I've been. And while I was there, that was actually very true on a basic level, which meant I was able to find the things that made me belong much more easily. As our short semester drew to a close, I started to realize that there were places here where I might never walk again. I started creating mental maps, trying to remember every single detail about my time in Europe. Every afternoon, every trip to the train station, every meal. And for the rest of the year, I gravitated towards music that reminded me of those things, like emeralds or winged victory, or the caretakers and empty bliss beyond this world. I was hoping to save some of that warmth for myself but only found myself progressively more miserable as the weather got colder and my friends started to drift apart. This was the beginning of the second blue period, 
It's hard, even now, to describe what happened, but I feel like I've been living with it ever since. I came out of high school eager to prove that I was better than everyone else by creating some kind of grand, powerful work and achieving wild success at a young age. And suddenly, I realized that the clock for being the first to succeed was starting to run down. And with this experience of a place where I'd felt more at home than ever before in the rear view, I suddenly saw my life stretching out before me, so vast, so many paths, none of which necessarily led back to the happy place that I had been. In what I can only describe as a concerted effort to hit the lowest point possible, I broke up with Michaela, just as autumn turned to winter. I want to explain that this kind of music I've been playing, I didn't listen to it until the blue periods came into my life. These albums provide a place to hide, a womb I can augment by pulling a blanket over my head, a place where I can dive deep into my memories as I drift off to sleep. I used to go to bed listening to whatever, sometimes music that it's kind of insane to imagine falling asleep to now. But as time went on, the practice became so utilitarian that I limited myself to quiet, ambient records. Until one night, almost a year after I'd first set foot on another continent, when I really couldn't sleep. I had noticed that the memories that I had were starting to lose their color, and I tried listening to A Winged Victory for the Sullen, The Caretaker, the Emeralds, but none of it sounded right. Every time my head hit the pillow, I just lay there, thoughts racing, sadness building. Music has a mystical quality to me. It hides in plain sight, only to emerge at the moment I need it most. That night, I stumbled across a record I'd downloaded several weeks earlier, a collaboration the guitarist of Emeralds had recorded with an unknown band from Ohio called Trouble Books. And as I lay there, soaking it in, I recognized the loneliness in the singer's voice. It sounded like mine. Listening to Trouble Books, I realized I had cast Michaela off into space, and along with her, an optimistic part of me that I wanted to hold on to. And with that revelation, I finally passed out.
Not long after, I reached out and managed to pull her back. And in the process, all that wordless music I'd put so much energy into slipped from my rotation. With all due respect to Dustin's intention that people feel interconnected when they listen to a winged victory for the sullen, the way I used it left me feeling very lonely. I'd trapped myself in my memories, building up a pressure of anxiety and sadness that I told myself I could use to make something. Only, I never found the release valve. And yet music is plastic. My associations with it can change. The room was warmer now. Everyone sat with their heads bowed while outside, the shadows of tree branches danced across the stained glass. I put my arm around Michaela's waist and gave her a squeeze. Michaela's been the closest person to me over a period where I've struggled between holding on to some romanticism and feeling crushed under the weight of my own ambition. While I was in Europe, I was able to shut up this part of me that lives either too far into the future or too far in the past, robbing myself of the joy of what's right in front of me. And I was able to tap back into that after college by living here at home and giving myself totally over to making art. But now I am starting to worry that just like five years ago, the weight of what I want, what I have will never balance out. In trying to make something that captures these moments, I get lost in the process. I keep hoping for some assurance that being able to create is enough, that making something that will outlast me will help me survive. And yet, what did I learn from all the people I'd spoken to that winter? Art resonates, but it does not guarantee food in the stomach or adequate vision care. And so when I dream of another continent, I dream of a place and time outside of this one, where I've figured out this adulthood thing to the point where it no longer feels frightening, where I can feel as unconcerned as I used to on those long afternoons in well. These were just some of the things I thought about during the show that night. And then they passed, and I was left with the moment, with my hand on Michaela's side, and the warmth of the church. And then that ended too. I sent Michaela back to the apartment we were borrowing for the night. I had one last piece of business to take care of. I actually wanted to start with, uh, why did you move to Europe? Better quality of life. What were you missing out on? There's so many things. Mm-hmm. Would you mind? Taxes, healthcare, language, cultural significance. Um, feeling detached, looking for a new life, looking for something more than what we were given here as, mm-hmm. as American citizens. Adam Wiltsey and I sat in the side chapel of the First Unitarian Church, a beautiful space with absolutely awful seating arrangements. The resulting tape was very noisy. Well, personally, you just reach moments in your life where you need to make turns, whether it's you're living in Philly and you decide you need to move to 
you know, East Lansing, Michigan. Of every musician in this season of Stories About Music, the way I relate to Adam's work is probably the most intimate. Alongside of a winged victory for the Sullen, Adam is part of a very influential ambient music project called Stars of the Lid, whose album, The Tired Sounds of Stars of the Lid, has been my number one sleep aid since 2011. During the recording of that record, at the turn of the century, he uprooted for Brussels, where he has lived ever since. It was good for me. I didn't know what was going to happen, but now, you know, I'm a resident, I, I pay taxes in Belgium, and I'm quite, I'm quite content there. Why did you pick Belgium? Over the years, I've had been had toured through Belgium and Brussels in particular. I, there's just something really strange. It really reminded me of New York City from the 70s, which was kind of a dirty, gritty, dangerous place. I feel like this might be one of the keys to Adam's happiness with Europe. When he moved there, he found himself in a city that was different and yet connected to his past. I grew up born and raised in New York City. My parents split up when I was young, so I moved around a lot. For me in Belgium with all my friends, I'm I'm a bit of an anomaly. You know, when you come from a country, it's so tiny. I mean, it's about the size of the greater area of Philadelphia. They go an hour and it's their parents feel like they've moved halfway around the world. So for, for how far I've come, I'm, I'm a little, I feel a little bit like an exotic pet. I could devote an entire episode to him alone, and I hope to someday. I only got 10 minutes to talk to him, during which time I had to choose between reporting a straightforward radio story or trying to make sense of the personal connection I had with his music. The, uh, the emotion in Atomos, uh, how would you describe like, the thing you're going for? I wouldn't describe it. You can't? No, I can't. I, 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 you just don't I choose to. not to. I mean, I mean, I think that's more of your... your this is what you do. This is, it's not for me to say. It was not going well. It's harder than I thought to become a music journalist, and not just because there's no money in it. It's that I'm trying to survive by making sense of this thing that I look to for continuity in life, and by interviewing people who are, in my view at least, living the dream. Sometimes I wonder if I'm going into an interview to get information or find direction for myself. But what was the first thing that I learned three years ago, when I went out to Akron and set off the chain of events that led to me sitting in front of Adam on the verge of an epiphany? As a fan, I only see the things that I want to see. Now, of course, Adam and Dustin are fairly stable, living well integrated into the other continent. But of course, that glosses over all the other things, the sacrifices a person makes when they leave the world they know behind. Again, Dustin O'Halloran. Was it like a long time before you actually felt like you were home? I don't know if you ever feel completely home. But then the idea of home changes because when you come back, you think it's going to feel like home and then it doesn't feel like home. Ultimately, I sort of found peace in just not looking for it anymore because it's something that you carry with you. And it's the people that, that you love. You can go back to a city and when all your friends are gone and the people you love are gone, it doesn't, doesn't feel the same. Have you had that experience here in America? Well, most people have stayed <laughs> so all of my friends and, and family have stayed in los angeles so it, it always feels really familiar is it strange coming back to america after having lived away for so long i mean I don't know. i'm used to it it's fine mm-hmm. it's not so much strange as just kind of depressing sometimes depressing how have you, have you looked around to seeing <laughs> zombies in the streets? <laughs> While part of me agrees wholeheartedly with Adam, 
There is something, one particular person, that I don't want to leave behind. The girl who was there to kickstart my dreams of another continent, who's proven so much less disposable than I thought people would be. Right there in church, I felt my anxiety returning that I was not making the right decisions. But then Adam said something that... I don't know how to describe it. Your whole life, it's this giant arc from the moment you're born, every single thing you do in life is all connected to what makes you, you know, whether you're a used car salesman or some clown making ambient music like I do. You know, whether it's the, f the first time I heard Rocket Man when I was like three years old, to listening to Led Zeppelin, to being a huge fan of Brian Eno, to looking at Rothko paintings and having it just totally fuck my mind. I mean, it's, it's all the same thing. People can make it seem like there's just this one moment in time. Maybe it's that simple for some people, but for me, it's everything is connected. Mm -hmm. you know, they're connected with me. You are probably going to be connected with me. I don't know what kind of influence you're going to have, but maybe none. There's just so many of these seconds in life. When I think about how Dustin and I met, you know, this one moment in time in Italy that if something happened and I didn't make it to Bologna that night and play Sparkle Horse and Dustin was not feeling good and didn't come to the show, we never would have met and we wouldn't have created all this music. I mean, that's, that's pretty random. And that's just, that's, for me, that's the essence of everything I see in myself. And it's, it's all, it's all strangely connected. So I leave it like that. I'm done. That explains a lot. Thank you. Outside, the rain had stopped, and I walked back to the apartment through the mist. Adam's last comment left me aware of the strange set of coincidences that pull people together in life. Me, my friends, Michaela, the musicians that I'd been talking to that winter. I suddenly realized that all of these stories were connected, parts of the whole that I'd been struggling to capture for years. That when I talk about music, I talk most importantly about myself. Michaela lay awake in bed, waiting for me. I kissed her, and we stayed up for a while, talking into the night. Adam Wiltsey and Dustin O'Halloran live in Europe. Their most recent album, As a Winged Victory for the Sullen, is called Adamos, and it's out on Cranky. You've been listening to Stories About Music. This episode was produced by myself and edited and approved by John Davies. Music in the episode appears courtesy of A Winged Victory for the Sullen, Leland Kirby, Emeralds, and Trouble Books. 
For a list of those songs, in order of appearance, you can go to our website, investigatingregionalscenes.org. Also at our website this week, a few photos of the Dutch town where I met Michaela. If you haven't already, please follow us on your local podcast provider. Our next episode is the finale of season one, and if you're just joining us now, you still have some time to go back and catch up on everything that's happened. If you or a loved one have your own story about music, contact me at brendan at investigatingregionalscenes.org. You can follow us on Twitter by searching for my name. Thanks to Dustin and Adam, to Brian Foote and Nora Tahiri for setting up our interview, and as always, to Michaela. Once again, I'm Brendan Maddox, back soon with another story about music. So before we get started, who are you and what do you do? Who are you and what do you do? No one's ever done that to me before. Next time on the season finale of Stories About Music, I meet Tarek Larson of Prince Rama. There's like this intense spiritual element to what you're doing. How does that interact with the financial realities of being a musician living in Brooklyn in 2015? Well, it's pretty simple, really. We make a six-digit salary a year but all of the digits are zeros. <laughs> <laughs> and she welcomes me into the now age.